As Isaac said, my name is David Lyons. I'm one of the members of staff uh, here at St. Mungo's. Uh, and I want to begin this morning by telling you uh, a story. There was a man who was standing at a bus stop at the end of a long 10-hour working day. He was waiting for his bus to come along, and it was due to arrive in four minutes. As he stands there contemplating the journey home and the rest which will greet him at the end of it, a man staggers into the middle of a busy junction and collapses to the ground. A couple of people run over to help, but most continue to wait for their bus, checking their phones, listening to podcasts, all turning to observe what's happened with a mixture of intrigue, pity, and some disgust. The man at the bus stop, along with two others, run over to find a large, intoxicated, and rather pungent gentleman in the middle of the road. It takes two people to lift him up to his feet, and the other person stops the traffic. Once he's upright and on his feet again, the gentleman offers his thanks before proceeding to step back out into the middle of the junction once again. The two people who helped the man initially and stopped the traffic uh, looked at the man and said, I'm afraid we've got a bus to catch. Have you got this? The man's bus is now due in one minute. And if he misses that, he waits another 45 minutes for his next one home. So what should he do? Well, he puts his arm around the gentleman's, he eases him to his feet once more, and he sets off with him to the fish and chip shop across the busy junction, gets the man some food. The onlookers stare and pass judgment as these two men stagger across three pelican crossings to enter the chip shop. The man then walks the gentleman back across the junction to the taxi rank outside the train station. And he asks the taxi drivers and the station staff to look after the man and take him home once he'd finished eating. The man walks back to his bus stop in time for his next bus home. Sounds like a modern retelling of the Good Samaritan, doesn't it? But this happened at Haymarket Station in Edinburgh just a couple of weeks ago, and the man who helped was a member of our church family. What difference is it between this person and the rest of the commuters who stood by unmoved? Well, it could have been any number of reasons. But it's my belief that this person knows that they're loved by God, so moved by compassion for the gentleman, we're able to demonstrate something of the kingdom of God to him, to be love. And this morning we're going to look together at the vision which God has called us to as a church, to be love, a vision which was given to Ollie back in 2020. He traveled north to, to Balata, one of his favorite places, with the express intention of spending time with God, to hear his voice and receive a vision for St. Mungo's. And as he stood on top of the hill with the clouds below, he heard the words, be love. And as he prayed on that, it became clear that wasn't just the vision for that year ahead, but was the vision for St. Mungo's church moving forward. And along with that, he was reminded of 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Our vision to be love is an active response to what God has already done for each one of us. The member of the church family who helped the man lying in the middle of Haymarket Junction was moved by compassionate love because he knew that were it not for God's love for him, he'd be no different to that man. Maybe not literally, but spiritually and emotionally, he'd be staggering around trying to find his way home only to end up lying helpless in the middle of the road and needing rescue. But what made the difference? Well, accepting the gospel. And what is the gospel? Well, it means good news. 
the word evangelion. It means good news. It's an event which has happened, the result of which means that things are now different to what they were. It puts a new event in an older story and introduces this new period where everything is different to the way it was. Tom Wright says, The gospel of Jesus Christ comes as news within a larger story. It points to a wonderful new future and introduces a new period of waiting that changes our expectations. And if you missed Ollie's talk last week, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it from the St. Mungo's website. It forms the foundation of what I'm sharing today and uh, the, the talks which are coming in the future weeks. But the gospel overview that Ollie shared last week is generally as follows. We're created for a purpose by God, to be his image bearers here on earth, to be in relationship with God and relationship with others, to live in his life-giving presence. Then rejected God's purpose. Humanity chose to reject God's purpose and allow sin to enter the world. And the consequences of that decision were that the image of God in humanity became distorted, that our relationship with God was broken, and that death entered the world. And, but God redeemed humanity's purpose. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God acted out of his great love for humanity. He acted himself in the person of Jesus, and his primary purpose was redemption. The death which entered the world was now defeated. God acted so that the image of God could begin to be restored in us, so that we could be brought back into relationship with God again, and so that we could receive eternal life. This new reality had been opened up. And we respond to this good news by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, our Savior, repenting of our sin instead of living for self, we live for him. We confess Jesus as Lord in our life and we're baptized as a public declaration that we want to follow Jesus. A symbolic act that the old is gone and the new is here. This is the overview of the gospel. And why did God do it? Well, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John 3.16 is clear that God has done this because of his great love for us. And we enter this new life, this new reality. We're given a commandment and a commission. It's the commandment, Mark 12, verses 29 to 31. We've said it in our liturgy this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. See, being a disciple of Jesus means that we're to love God with all of ourselves, holding nothing back, but instead surrendering all to him, not out of some obligation, but out of a response for his great love for us. And because we're loved by God, we're then empowered to reflect that love to others, even those who don't deserve it or earn it. Think of the man lying in the road. He'd done nothing to earn that man's love. But he received it anyway. And the most loving thing that we can do for another person is to introduce them to Jesus. 
to tell them the good news of the kingdom of God, to tell them about the death and resurrection of Jesus, this historical event which has happened, this good news which has happened, which has changed everything for us and can change everything for them too. And to be loved in this way is summarized in the great commandment from Jesus, which we find in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So if you're sat here this morning, you're wondering, how do I live out this vision of be love? Well, it's summarized in the great commandment and the great commission. To love God, to love others, and to go and make disciples. We're called to abide in him. And as we spend time in his presence, we're transformed, we're shaped, molded, refined to become more like Jesus. And then as transformed people, we can go into the world and be love, to love others in the way that Christ has loved us and allow others to experience the good news of the kingdom of God. And then as people encounter this love for themselves, we can tell them about the good news, what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus. All of this sounds very good in theory, but what does it actually look like when the rubber hits the road in our everyday lives? Well, first and foremost, it starts by remembering 1 John 4.19 and making a conscious decision to live that out day by day, moment by moment. We love because God loved us first. God loved us first. Not in some motivational calendar, twee, remember, God loves you kind of way, but in a real, definitive, undeserved, passionate, unconditional, giving up his life for you sort of love. And this new reality exists For everyone who believes and responds to the good news. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Because God loved us first, we're beloved children of God. Brennan Manning says, To define yourself radically, as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. I think often we can struggle to believe this. I was reminded as we were leading up to the carol service that I had this period of time where I was trying to write my talk for that service. And every time I sat down to write, a negative thought or a memory of some past sin would fill my mind. And along with a voice which went something like, why are you writing this talk? You're a fake, phony, hypocrite. You're an imposter. Don't you remember what you've done? How could God love you and use you? It's easy for me to forget that in Christ, because of his love for me, I'm a new creation. Old is gone, the new is here, and that I am a beloved child of God. It's easy to forget that we're loved by God because so often we're told by culture that how we feel 
is what underpins the foundation of our purpose and of our identity. And it's the essence of who we are. But as Manning says, it's just an illusion. Whether we feel it or not, our identity is as a beloved child of God, bought at a price, and someone who now exists as a new creation in the kingdom of God. Henri Nuon writes, I don't often feel like a beloved child of God, but I know that is my most primal identity, and I know I must choose it above and beyond my hesitations. So you see, when we know in the depths of our being that we're loved, not based on anything that we've done, but on what Jesus has done, we can love others in an entirely new way. A way that seeks to fulfill the great commandment, to love God and to love others. As we love others, it creates opportunities to signpost people towards the great commission to make disciples. For many years, there's been this common thought that the job of making disciples and telling others about Jesus is primarily belongs to just a few individuals. Definitely the pastor. Sorry about that, Ollie. It's definitely your job. Probably a few staff, someone who oversees evangelism, that would be me, uh, and maybe just a few other people who have a real heart for this kind of thing or a gift for this. But when we read the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, they don't give us any caveats. The call to love others, to go and make disciples, is the call and command on every believer. If that makes your legs feel a little wobbly, then I want to encourage you that the truth is that you're almost certainly far better at doing it than you think you might be. We can often overcomplicate things. And I find what Pete Gregg, the leader of 24-7 Prayer, says so helpful. He says, I'm not into evangelism. I hate evangelism. I'm into Jesus. And so I tell people about him. God's given each of us gifts by his Holy Spirit, natural abilities as well, that we can use to be loved so that people around us experience the good news of the kingdom of God. And we're to use those gifts both inside and outside the church. And as we love others, we're loving God because we're fulfilling the great commandment to love people. And as we fulfill that, then we create opportunities to share the good news and fulfill the great commission as well. I was talking to a friend as I was preparing this talk and they suggested that I had a look at the LICC website. LICC is the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. It's an organization which inspires other people to live as disciples of Jesus, whatever they do, whoever and whatever they are. And over the years, the team at LICC realized that most Christians get to the end of an average day and don't feel like they've done very much for God or been fruitful in any way. But the reality is that people are far more fruitful and have done far more for God than they think they have. And that's because being fruitful for God, loving God, is not boxed into volunteering on a Sunday morning, reading your Bible, fasting, praying, preaching the gospel in the office at lunch break, feeding the poor, raising the dead. All of these things are wonderful examples of what it means to be fruitful. But there are so many other ways that we can be fruitful for God in our everyday lives. 
Or to put it in the same terminology as our vision, there's innumerable ways in which we can use the gifts that God has given us, both natural and spiritual, to be love to others. And LICC have developed what they call the six M's as a framework to help show some of the different ways that we can love God and love others and make disciples. And I really recommend that you head over to the website. I think there should be a QR code somewhere. Uh, and have a read through of some of the testimonies uh, that are on there. And be really encouraged by them because I know I was. And I hope that as you look at these, you'll be encouraged to see how you have been and could be love in your day-to-day life. We're just going to quickly have a look through what these six M's are. The first one is modeling godly character. Whatever you do, wherever you are, you can model the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can recall seeing a member of our church family at the school gate. There was a child who was in complete meltdown. And all eyes were looking at them, a mixture of pity and relief that they weren't the one dealing with it. And also somewhat, inevitably, some judgment. In that extreme situation, the person never raised their voice. They were gentle, loving, and kind to the child, in spite of what they were being faced with. Demonstrating significant levels of self-control so as not to snap at themselves. They loved well. The child calmed, felt safe, felt seen, felt known, felt loved. And they went into school just a little bit later than planned. They modeled godly character and created conversation among the other adults at the school gate as they demonstrated the gospel. You see, God doesn't treat us as we deserve, but instead he's patient with us. He's gracious, he's kind, and he's loving. In whatever we do, we have an opportunity to model godly character. The next one is making good work. We all have work to do, whether that is uh, jobs or whether it's jobs around the house or it's paid employment. Whatever we're doing, we can do them in a way which reflects God. A member of our church family was helping out another by offering to walk their dog while they were out at work. They were told how to get into the house, where the lead, where the poo bags were, where the harness was, all very important. And hopefully they'd be able to find them because they were in what the family referred to as the cupboard of doom. The person went, took the dog for a walk, walked them around the block, brought the dog back, and then proceeded to tidy up the cupboard of doom. They didn't need to, but they have a gift of being able to see how to tidy and organize things well. And they use this to bless another family. I think about some other people who've opened up a shop where they're selling all manner of beautiful and creative things. They're using the creativity which God has given them to bless others. I think about other people in congregation who take in babies who have come from broken homes and they love them well. They use the gifts and the skills which God has given them to bless others. And they do that, as they do that, they reflect and bring something of the kingdom of God. We all have work to do, whether that is jobs, paid employment, or work around the house. How do we do them in a way which reflects God? 
The next one is ministering in grace and love. Just as we've received grace and love from God, we can reflect it to those around us, whether they deserve it or not. The example at the start of this talk would fit into that category. But another example that I experienced was when a person from our church family stayed behind after their work had finished to help support a colleague who was running an event that evening. It's a fairly simple action, but they didn't need to do that. They didn't need to be there. But in doing so, they reflected the grace and the love and the encouragement and kindness of God, sacrificing their own time to support and demonstrate love to their colleague. I also remember how on my first time that I ever came to St. Mungo's, um, I was offered to go around to someone's house for lunch. I didn't know this person. I'd never met them before. But yet they invited me to the house for lunch. And it was such a significant thing. It felt like this is a place where there is space for me. There's a great quote from Henri Nguyen that says, Hospitality is about creating a space for people. I also loved this quote I found from Iswain Kozi, uh, who works for the Lectio 365. He says, do not underestimate the transformation that can occur around the dinner table. We can minister in grace and love in loads of different ways. But hospitality is a really significant way in which we can do that. The next M is modeling culture, molding culture. Every organization, team, every friendship group has got a culture to some extent or another. Some parts of that culture are really good and really positive and encouraging and uplifting, and other parts are pretty toxic. To be loved means that we strengthen the positive things about the culture and don't engage in some of the negative aspects. We're always looking to see how can we make those who don't normally have a voice have a voice and have space and have time and be given value. I remember when a member of our church family started a new senior role at work. There was a buzz and a chatter which was created about this individual, how different they were to other leaders who'd gone before because they took time to listen and talk to everybody that they worked alongside, regardless of their position or status in the organization. Colleagues noticed and they commented on how this person was so very different from anyone that they'd worked with before. They molded culture by valuing everyone as important and as worthy of their time. Being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. This can be as simple as snuffing out gossip or, or making sure someone is treated fairly and appropriately at work or during a friendship dispute. It can also be about how you use the gifts that you have to change practice and policy. We've got someone in our church family who is working to improve the lives of those at risk of experiencing homelessness. They're using their natural gifts and abilities to work with the Scottish government to eradicate homelessness in Scotland. Being a voice and an advocate for those who are marginalized, vulnerable, judged and forgotten. Another member of our family sits as a trustee on a charity, provides safe accommodation for victims of domestic abuse, provides them with safe accommodation, support, and gives them a voice. We've got lots of people within our congregation who are a mouthpiece for truth and justice. They use their natural given skills and abilities to speak up for the vulnerable and the marginalized. 
And in doing so, they bring about the kingdom of God. Finally, a messenger of the gospel. The five M's that we've covered talk about very practical ways that we can be love as we go about our day-to-day lives. They demonstrate to others the love which we've received from God. And people notice. They act as signposts and they lead to opportunities for us to give a reason for the hope which we have. Someone in our congregation received a text from a friend who was supporting someone through a really challenging and difficult time. This message explained a little bit of what was happening in that situation and said, I wanted to send you a message because I know that you will pray. The person had seen the signposts of how this person shows up at the school gate in social situations, in their friendship group, and at the moment when they needed someone who could help them have hope, they turned and asked them to pray. I think about, again, my own testimony of what I saw in my family. I saw something in the way that they showed up, in the way that they loved me, even when I was putting a lot of horrible things back their way. They loved me. And ultimately, that made a massive difference and opened up an opportunity for me to hear and receive the gospel. So how are we going to live this out this year? Well, hopefully you've seen that you're almost certainly doing far better at living out the vision of be loved than you think you are. I've picked a few stories, all of them from people within our congregation, but there are so many more. And perhaps uh, as you head into house group this week, that could be something that you could encourage one another with. How can you say and speak out the things that you notice in other people and how they model all of these things? in their day-to-day life. Not everyone is called to full-time or part-time church ministry, but we're all called to fulfill the great commandment to love God and to love others and the great commission to go and to make disciples. And we fulfill both the great commandment and the great commission when we use the gifts and abilities that we have, both natural and spiritual, to love those who God has placed in front of us. And as we love others, we allow them to experience the kingdom of God and respond to the good news of the kingdom. As we abide in God's love for us, we're transformed to go into the world around us and demonstrate the kingdom of God in everyday situations. The vision of St. Mungo's Church to be love is not merely a catchy slogan, but a profound calling which embodies the great commandment and fulfills the great commission. It's rooted in the transformative power of God's love in our own lives. We love because he first loved us. The vision be love reminds us that discipleship is not an exclusive task for a select few or confined to a Sunday morning, but the inherent responsibility for every believer to live out in each moment of our lives. We've got countless opportunities in our daily lives to be ambassadors for God's kingdom, to be heralds of God's kingdom, a kingdom of love and grace, hope, peace, transformation. And as we live out the vision to be love, we create a ripple effect, which extends beyond our personal actions, influences, and inspires others to experience the transformative power of God's love, to respond to the gospel, and to become 
his disciples. If the band could come up, we're going to pray. Father, I thank you that you loved us first. We thank you that that love had an action, which was that you came in the person of Jesus to die upon a cross for our sin and that you raised to life and in doing so created a new reality for us to step into. Would you help us to love others in the way that you've loved us? Would you help us to remember that our identity, our truest self, is as a beloved child of yours? And that knowledge changes everything. Would you help us as we go about this week and this year to model godly character, to make good work, to minister in grace and love, to mold character, to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice and a messenger for the gospel? Would you help us this year to be your heralds, to speak out the good news of the kingdom of God? Would you give us the courage and the strength, the boldness we need to do that? But would you also give us the encouragement to see that in our day-to-day lives, in the actions that we take, We've got opportunities to show your love to others. And we pray this in your name. Amen.